For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Life is wild these days. It's a weird mix of days blurring together, but restarting again and again the same way. It's a time people are going to talk about decades from now. And a great way to deal with this new reality is a very old habit, journaling. Now, most people think that journaling is a time-consuming and mentally taxing process, but what's really true is that journaling makes an exponential impact on the rest of your life relative to the amount of time that it takes. My friend Matt Ragland has created an expert class on building the habit of journaling. He'll show you the six keys for successful journaling, why most people fail, and how to prevent failure with proper habits and prompts. And just for my listeners, he's offering $20 off his course with the coupon code ZUBI, and the first 10 buyers will also get a free Baron Fig Confidant Notebook, an additional $25 value. Instead of wishing you could find the time or wondering what to write, Matt will show you exactly what steps to take. Visit mattragland.padilla.com forward slash journaling. That's mattragland, M-A-T-T-R-A-G-L-A-N-D dot podia, P-O-D-I-A dot com forward slash journaling. And use the code ZUBY. Z-U-B-Y, to get $20 off today. That's mattragland.padilla.com forward slash journaling. Go check it out. I am the man, sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand, stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam, put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang, y'all gonna remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on the author of multiple books and the creator of the Rational Mail blog. And of course, this is Mr. Rational Mail himself, Rolo Tomasi. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Awesome. This is great. I, I, I've been wanting to come on with you for a very long time. So, oh, fantastic. Fantastic. It'll, it'll definitely be a good conversation. Mm. So, I've just done a super brief intro right there, man, letting the people know who you are. Okay. Well, uh, first of all, I'm Roel Tomasi. Um, that is my pen name, by the way, in case people are wondering. I, I picked that up off of an a old movie called LA Confidential that I 
just kind of stuck with me for a little while. Um, I am the author of three books, actually, the Rational Mail series of books. The first one, of course, was uh, The Rational Mail, which came out in 2013, and then uh, Rational Mail, uh, Positive Masculinity, which was the third book, and then the second book was uh, Preventive Medicine, which came out in 2015. And they, I'm, I'm also working on a fourth one right now. Um, it's going to be focusing primarily on like red pill, intersexual dynamics um, with respect to religion. So that's going to be coming okay. out this year. Um, I was hoping to have it out first quarter of this year, but with everything that's been going on in the world, that's probably going to be pushed back a little bit just so I can be a little more timely with things like the afterword and the forward and things. Sure. And that makes a lot of sense, man. So I'm curious to know a little bit more about your, your background story. So I've read your first book, The Rational Mail. I think I read that about five or six years ago. I can't remember how I initially came, came across it. I, I'm always you know, looking up random stuff online. And I know I think I came, maybe I came across your blog. And then I saw, oh, this guy's got a book. Let me, let me check it out. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit more about your, your background story and your life story and how you came to be doing what you're doing now. Uh, well, uh, gosh, you know, what's interesting about what I write about and really sort of intersexual dynamics and what we call the red pill right now, um, or I should say what we called it then and what it is now is a, is a whole different animal, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but back in uh, about the early 2000s, like 2001, 2002, I started um, getting interested in behavioral psychology. And it was at that same time that I became a moderator at this um, forum, an online forum called SoSwav. And it was part of the seduction community at that time, but it was a little bit more than that. It wasn't like, um, there, there was a, you know, there was the PUA, the pickup artist communities, like the alt fast seduction and mm-hmm. mystery method. And I'm sure you probably read the game by Neil Strauss. That yeah, I think I read that when I was in my teens. 2005, somewhere around there. Yeah. And so all of that stuff was going on at that time. And I was, I just got fascinated with it. You know, I was, um, you know, I've been married now for going on 24 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was married back then and I was reading about this and I really wanted to sort of dig underneath what was going on. Um, so I was reading about all these techniques and these guys who were coming together on this new medium, which back then, uh, you know, internet forums were a big deal and they're, they're not as big a deal now, of course. And then of course, uh, I started a blog later on after that. And now it seems like, you know, blogs are sort of kind of passe um, because mm. now we have Twitter and we have uh, this kind of stuff, you know, we're on YouTube. But back then, that was something that was new. And a lot of guys from all over the world had an opportunity to sort of coalesce and come together and talk about their experiences. And of course, the first thing guys are going to do when they get together is talk about how to get laid. So that's what they did (laughs) about that. And they, you know, how best to go about, you know, picking up girls and going to the clubs. And Mm -hmm. here's what I'm noticing here. And it was really this congregation of guys who, uh, for the first time and and ever really could get together from all over the world and sort of compare notes. And so I was sort of thrown into the middle of all this at the same time I was studying psychology. And so I would see some of their techniques and like, you know, the stuff that the early PUAs were talking about. And I wanted to know why those would work or why they wouldn't work or, you know, they were just sort of like trials. It was like experimentation back then. And so that was what sort of set me off on this. Um, you know, personally, um, I have, uh, you know, I used to, like when I was in my 20s, I was, I grew up in Southern California. Um, I was in sort of the early, uh, well, I shouldn't say early, the later uh, half of sort of the Hollywood metal scene. And I was, I was in bands and things like that down in Los Angeles and in Hollywood during that time. Uh, and I, I've got a, kind of a, a background um, with uh, either with women or with uh, sort of um, 
uh, being what we call blue pill, going from blue pill to being red pill, going from like being sort of beta to be more alpha to being beta again. Alpha. I have a lot of experience. <laughs> okay. I have a lot of experience that I can speak on. And okay. so, you know, I, that's really where I go with, with can, what can I you, Can you define those terms, blue pill and red yeah, pill? Yeah, yeah, I can. <laughs> not not familiar with the lingo. There's really, I know that's the first, it's funny you should say that because in my, in my fourth upcoming book, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm writing from the perspective that nobody knows what, they, what I'm talking about. Okay. So um, when I talk about the red pill, um, I'm talking about uh, the early uh, pickup artists uh, when it comes to uh, intersexual dynamics and how that evolved into what we call really kind of the red pill right now. Mm. Um, red pill back then was this idea that if you believe certain things or if you were raised a certain way, or I usually call, when I talk about the blue pill, I talk about blue pill conditioning and it's just sort of how... Um, your acculturation, uh, how society, um, how all kinds of influences that are outside influences sort of um, direct you in, 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 in a course of action or whatever. You know, like when we make the comparison to like blue pill and red pill, of course, we refer back to the, the Matrix movie. So if you're plugged in and you're blue pill, it's usually because you believe certain things that you were raised to believe because you had all this outside influence that led you to believe these things. Of course, when you take the red pill, you become aware. And that's why I refer to the red pill as red pill awareness. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about that, the, the red pill is really kind of tough to define because it is, uh, with respect to intersexual dynamics, because it is so cross-discipline. Um, so we're, when I talk about the red pill, I talk about um, behavioral psychology, uh, behavioral, or, uh, behavioral uh, evolutionary psychology, behavioral psychology, uh, evolutionary biology, um, anthropology, sociology, all of these things sort of come together to give us in you know, red pill awareness um, a better understanding of uh, how uh, intersexual dynamics works, how, you know, why we do the things we do, why we think the things we do, why, why do we have certain mating strategies, why do, we, um, why do we even believe the certain things that we think should be true and in, from a blue pill perspective. And why do we need to wake up from that kind of stuff? And how can we live a better life in sort of a red pill paradigm as opposed to being plugged in and making mis common mistakes that really for the last almost 20 years now, guys have come together and said, look, here's, here, here's some commonalities. How can we use this information, this tool set to better our lives? And so that's really what red pill is to me. Now, it's yeah. become something a whole lot different. Mm, it's, mm. it's become polit politicized. It's become uh, religiousized, I guess. Um, yeah. it has be, it's whatever, like the, the problem with the red pill right now is that the term is almost meaningless. Mm. It, it originally started out in the old seduction communities. And now, of course, you've got MGTOW. Now you've got black pill. Now you've got uh, MRAs. Now you've got um, guys who are like in the alt-right. Now you guys, you know, you got, it becomes a political thing. It's pretty much whatever anyone's pet ideology is becomes yeah. red pill. Right. It's what I believe, and it's true. So it must be red pill. Yeah, I, th so, I think I think it sort of evolved to mean almost more like maybe its original true matrix sense, just in the mm -hmm. wider in the wider sense. So I mm -hmm. think for a lot of people, if people talk about getting red pilled, initially for a man anyway, it normally does have something to do with the opposite sex to begin with, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of like it seems like a sort of tunnel people go down. So. Mm -hmm maybe they have a certain experience with with women and then it makes them question other things. other beliefs right and then mm -hmm. they think oh maybe what i think about politics isn't what i thought or maybe what i thought about the, the media and the way that things are reported and the way just you know economic systems work and all these other kind of things so it's almost like a 
like a bunch of dominoes falling. And I think oddly enough for a lot of people, like I said, it does seem to start with, um, you know, the, the desire to mate and things to do with relationships and things like that. And then yeah, that's the most that, basic, that's, that's the idea. most basic problem that we have to solve as human beings is our yeah. reproductive problem. That's yeah. where it all starts from. And it's interesting that you used, uh, you used the red pill as a verb. And what that is, is like, oh, I got red pill. Yeah. That's, that is something new that's, <laughs> that's only new. Really yeah, come yeah. up in the last like five, four or five years now yeah. where people are like, are you familiar with Candace Owens? Do you know Candace Owens? Yeah, I know, I know her. Yeah. I've been on her show. Candace yeah. Owens uh, used to go like her, her old you know, Twitter red handle was red pill black. Yeah, right? yeah, and yeah. She, doesn't do, she doesn't use that anymore. Yeah. Because it's, it's become bastardized. It's, it's whatever anybody, you know, it's, it just means truth. And I know the truth. And so therefore it's my truth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, it, I, once it started to become a verb, I'm like, okay, things have That's changed. Too much. <laughs> yeah. But so, I still use the term just so people have some sort of familiarity. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what, what brought you into that world to begin with? So you said you've been, you've been married for 24 years? Going on in July. It'll be okay. So, so when you first got into looking at stuff on like the, uh, the so suave community and stuff like that. Were you already married at that point? I was, I was okay. actually, um, okay. when I started getting into it, like I had, I'd always been the kind of guy that like guys would come up to me and say, I really want what you have. Or like, you know, they would ask me for advice. I was, there was a, I don't know when it happened really, probably in my early thirties, but I started having guys come up to me and ask me for like advice or like would say, what, what would you do in this situation? And, mm. and I, it was actually in um, like the gaming community. I had guys asking me all the time. And so that's sort of where it started. Then I kind of became more familiar with so suave and I really dug my teeth into the forum uh, format, I guess, because I was in a, you know, relating with guys from all over the world and they always had these same similar problems or these similar situations. And that has not changed by the way. Like today when I, if I do any kind of counseling with guys, it's almost always the same, the same stuff. Mm. And so I, I started talking to these guys online. I became a moderator on, on so suave and um, much of the first um, year, maybe year and a half of the posts that you find on my blog on the rational mail, from 2011 to about 20, halfway through 2012, most of those were the most common uh, discussions that we had uh, for over the course of like eight or 10 years on, okay. on SoSwave that I sort of converted into more digestible blog posts so that mm-hmm. people would have those. And then, of course, from there, I, I ended up taking those posts and, and rewriting those posts so that they would fit into a book format. And that's really how I got into it. But um, my, my, from my personal life, um, like I said before, uh, I, and this is no secret, my notch count is like 40 plus. And what's funny for me is like, when I talk to certain guys, they'll say, oh, wow, you're, you're really promiscuous in your, in your youth. And I'm like, well, only from the years, like say from like 17 until I was about 26 or 27 years old. Mm. Um, and so I had some experience with with intersectional dynamics from that perspective i was also working in the uh, the liquor industry it's still still do kind of um i still have holdings in the liquor industry so uh even after i was married i was still out in the field so to speak and i was watching what was going on between men and women at the time i was wrapped up in the in the so swap forums and and all that and i was studying behavioral psychology at the time and i will tell you this right now that if they had offered it at that time i probably would have taken um evolutionary psychology as well Okay. Um, at that at that point. And then the defining moment, everybody always asks me this. So I might as well throw this out there. Everybody asks me, says, Well, when did you become like quote unquote red pilled? Right. Yeah. The verb again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh so my um my uh my uh, brother in law ended up committing suicide when he oh, was no. uh two thousand in two thousand three. 
And there was the circumstances uh, with my, my wife's sister that had, you know, he was, they had been married for like 20 some odd years and just the way that things went down, uh, she, he ended up committing suicide and nobody even knew he was like suicidal or anything. He was a hundred percent, you know, actually a pretty stoic kind of guy really he did, did the right thing pretty much for his whole life. And what had happened was, uh, my sister-in-law decided that she was going to divorce him. Finally, she's just about to hit 40 years old. She found uh, another guy to, who was a very wealthy man. Uh, let's just say, I'll just leave it at that mm. and uh, decided to divorce him to sort of jump ship to get with the guy, you know, her ship had come in. Right. And so he ended up killing himself and it wasn't so much the suicide that really woke me up as it was the response and the reaction of other people after that, in the aftermath of that. And, and when I'm talking to like women who had no idea of, had no concept of what their relationship was or any, no familiarity, were always taking her side because of that. Well, she was over him and, and that one, you know, one thing led to another. And that was, that was suicide number one. I had another friend of mine um, about a year later um, who was a, a, a po very popular uh, DJ. And I mean like a, on, on the air, on radio DJ. Mm -hmm. And uh, he ended up swallowing a bullet because he couldn't live without her. And he had built up this life uh, around the idea that he had a soulmate and that uh, they were going to have built up all these plans and had was working towards these yeah. things with the intention of being that good guy, right. To mm -hmm. being the good long-term prospect uh, and really believed in what I just did a video on this, not too long about the soul in the soulmate myth, which is like, well, I can't live without her. Well, yeah. some guys literally can't do that. Yeah. And that kind of set me off into that path to sort of say, okay, I want to help guys sort of avoid these things. So they're not putting a gun in their mouth. because of it. Sure. Well, yeah, that's, that's heavy. That's very heavy. And I mean, what stage of your life were you in at that point? Were you, were you still single or? No, no, no. I was, I was married. I was married at that time. Okay. Um, gotcha. Uh, that was my, my, my wife's sister's husband. Okay. Yeah. Oh yes, of course. Of course. So, um, yeah. And so when, when all that went down, then I was still, I was still on the board. I was actually uh, a moderator on social at that time. Okay. And that's when I started really, really sinking my teeth into it and learning and, and deciding that this is what I want to like have an interest in if nothing mm -hmm. else. So, um, then, you know, that's, that's really where I, people say, you know, where, when were you red pill? Like what was a traumatic experience for you? Usually yeah. there's a trauma of some, of some kind, gotcha. like guys will break up with a girlfriend or they'll uh, consider suicide or they'll be divorced or um, there's, it's usually uh, when they start seeking answers for like questions of intersexual dynamics. Why did my wife divorce me? How do I get my girlfriend back? That's the most common thing that I get from guys. Yeah. And so those kinds of questions right there, these guys are usually in a, tra a traumatic you know, position. And so that's when they start looking for things. Gotcha. Like we don't advertise in the red pill. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in your case, it was basically, you know, it was seeing what was happening to other people. It, was some, it wasn't something personal to you. No, no. You know, it's funny you should say that because that's usually when I, when I do interviews with guys who are unfamiliar. Well, I mean, you're familiar with me, but like when I do in interviews with guys who are unfamiliar, that's the first thing I presume. They presume, oh, he must have really got burned. He must really, it was, he's, he's just a better misogynist. Some girl really hammered him flat <laughs> or something. I, but no, no, actually, I've been actually pretty good with women for most of my life. Sure, um, sure. I've had uh, girlfriends who were BPD. Uh, I've, I've had the bad experiences as well. But that's, I think, is something that really contributes to what I can offer because I've had those experiences before. It's not like I've always been like, uh, I'm where I'm at right now because I got a lot of things wrong. <laughs> not because I got a lot of things right, but gotcha. you know, so I can speak to a lot of things. Awesome, man.
And so when, so tell us about the process from going there. So doing this moderation on the forum to eventually going and writing your first book, The Rational Mail. Okay. Well, um, much the same in, for the same reasons. Um, when I was in the SoSwap forum, I'd been there by, by 2011. I'd probably been a part of this forum for at least eight or nine years at that point. And I had a lot of guys who were saying, you need to go check out Roosh, or you need to go read his blog, or you need to get a blog. Mm-hmm. And then I started reading Roosh and I started reading Roy. Actually, I'd read, I'd read Roycey long before I read Roosh. And, and Roycey, I, I ended up becoming one of the three R's in the manosphere back then. It was Roosh, Roilo, and Roycey. And so those were the people that you would go to if you had questions. about. And I stuck straight to game. All I did was talk about game and, and, um, and intersexual dynamics. And I never talked about religion. I never talked about politics. I never talked about race. And I think that that was a real turnoff for a lot of guys who were looking at like guys like, say, Roycey. Or uh, or Roosh at the at that time, and so I always said. Now that's not to say I haven't written posts about politics, but only when they cross over into intersexual dynamics. So, for instance, the book that I'm writing right now, which is based on religion, it's based on religion, but it's in the crossover. It's in what 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 does religion have to say about intersexual dynamics of men and women, uh, you know, reproductions, forming families, those kinds of things. And so then I will go there if it is crossover, but I will never talk about race. I'll never talk. And everybody's doing it anyways. Like what, what point would there even be for me to do that? But I always want to stick straight to intersexual dynamics and not anything else. And so that kind of gave me like, uh, I think a little bit more credibility amongst the other two R's, I guess. And so then I started the blog in 2011 because people kept saying, well, you really need to take these and you really need to turn, you know, get a blog and, and go a little bit bigger than you are in just this forum because I was just a moderator on a forum at the time. And I really resisted that in the beginning. I didn't really want to do that because I didn't want to, I didn't think that I could like speak authoritatively on this kind of stuff because I was, you know, basically connecting dots from all of the information, the data that I was getting from the stuff I was reading, but certainly like guys, you know, relating experiences to me. And so I started the blog in 2011, and then in 2013, I decided that I was going to make a, a book, and I, I didn't set out to become an author. I just said, okay, I'm going to take all these things, I'm going to put them into a book, because I had, um, and if you read the, the intro of the first book, I had a, a, a reader, a female reader named Jackie, and she says, can you please put these in a book? Mm. And I'm like, okay, but you know, what's that going to do? She said, well, it's more legitimate. It's not just some Yahoo on the, on the internet uh, talking about this stuff. If it's in a book, people will take it seriously. And so I thought, okay, fine. And um, I'm already a, a graphic designer and an art director at that time anyways. I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good project. So I did that and I put it together. And I thought that that was going to be the only book I would ever, ever write. And I didn't think it, you know, I thought, okay, maybe it's a, you know, a side hustle kind of thing. I'll just, you know, we'll put it on, um, put it on Kindle or something like that and see what happens. And then of yeah, course what yeah. they say is, well, we, now we need it in a, uh, uh, an electronic format. So now we need a Kindle book. I, I know you're an author too. So you know yeah, what I'm yeah. talking about. You went through the, you went through making these mistakes because I made, I didn't know what I was doing. And so then they said, okay, what is, and then I'm like, Oh, what am I going to do? So I had to have, I had to hire some people to actually do the, the formatting for the, the Kindle book because I didn't know how to do that at the time. Now I do, but um, so I, I hired somebody out and then like, like two months later after that, they're like, we need this on audible. We got to have, like guys don't read. They want to hear this from you. And I'm yeah, like, yeah. Uh, so then I, I, it was just sort of like 
thrown into the fire here. You know, I had to, I had to write a, a, a decent print book, which I've spent all my time in creativity putting together. If you were, if you read the book and you look at the book, the cover, the interior, all the layout, everything in there, all that's me. I, I didn't hire anybody to do that. That's, that's my, so I wanted it to look beautiful. In fact, I, I, tried to pride myself on making it look like it's a actual book instead of just like, Oh, I just wrote this up in word and threw it into a, into a print format. Most people do that. Most people will just like write something and they'll, they'll focus on just the ebook and not the actual print book. Whereas I was focusing primarily on print because I wanted guys, and this is real important. I wanted guys to read the book and I wanted them to have discussions about it. I wanted them to hand it to their friend and say, dude, this, this really helped me out. Yeah, Check yeah. this out. Talk to me about it. Let's talk about this kind of thing. And I, of course, related that in the introduction. And I said, you know, have, have the discussions because I didn't, I was, again, I was coming from the forum world and I was still trying to get guys to have that experience after reading the book. So I always push the print book above everything else. And that's the, and you probably know this too, uh, print is the lowest royalty percentage that you will make on any, any kind of publication. Um, you'll make way more money on um, on Kindle and, and aud- certainly Audible, mm-hmm. but um, but I've always focused on the print because I think it's important for their, particularly for the subject, for guys to talk to other guys about it. So that's why I did that. So awesome, awesome. So you wrote and released your first book, and what was the what was the response like to that? Oh, it was um, kind of figured that it was going to take a little while, just kind of mature a little bit, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, so I, I, I kind of gave it a couple of years. It took me a little while. Like I said before, you had to, um, I, I was still on, had a learning curve going on. So like in the meantime, I was doing things like the, the ebook or the, the audible and, and stuff. And then right around, um, 2015 had a lot of guys who were unfamiliar with me or unfamiliar with my blog. And I started getting a lot more traffic of course, because of the, because of the, uh, the, the book, mm. but I had more guys, um, who are unfamiliar with my work were becoming familiar with my work. And then their most common, uh, <laughs> their most common complaint, I don't say complaint, but their most common reaction was, I wish I would have had this information sooner. I wish I would have known this before I, uh, I made the mistake of marrying someone or before I had kids or before mm-hmm. I did this or before I made these decisions. And um, I, wish my, I wish I could give this to my 18 or 19-year-old self. And then I had other guys who were saying, uh, this, is, this is amazing stuff. It's, it's pretty much saved my life, changed my life, and um, I, uh, I'm going to give it to my, my kids. I'm going to give it to my son. You know? <laughs> and so as a result of that, I, uh, I wrote the second book um, based on the understanding that somebody had already read the first one. And the second one was uh, based on a timeline of what I, you know, felt that most guys could expect from women at different um, phases of their maturity. So I went from like, say, 15 years old all the way up to 50 years old. And the reason I had people say, well, why do you start with 15? And I'm like, well, because <laughs> I have like, I had teenage guys. I had yeah. guys as young as like four, 13, 14 years old who are asking me saying, Rolla, what do I do? I got a girlfriend in high school or I feel bad because I don't have a girlfriend and all my friends have girls. And I, I didn't want them to go through, you know, a lot of like, well, there's a, a, a part uh, that I put in that on the timeline. It's called the break phase. It's right around like 17, 18, 19 years old. It's where guys who have their sort of high school sweetheart and their girl goes off to college and they don't and they try to, usually that's a time in 
most guys' lives where they try to do the long distance thing and it ends up being really bad for them because she's, you know, away at college and she's meeting other people and she's with new guys and everything. And the guy, that guy's trying to change his life and make decisions based on what he thinks is right on his, based on his idealistic, you know, blue pill ideals. Mm. And, um, and really that is a really pivotal point I think for most guys because they, they make lifelong decisions. You're 18. Now you can decide what you, you can decide what you want to be committed to at 18 years old. And I, I, that's why I put that in there. And so that's why I started it as young as like say 15. And then of course I went all the way up to 50. I'm, if I was to rewrite that book, I suppose I could put it up to like 60 or 70. Now. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I wrote that with the understanding that, um, that guys, it would help guys sort of make decisions uh, about their personal lives at different times of their lives uh, according to what they could expect of the women that they were with at that particular time. So it was sort of like to, to help guys f- kind of make better decisions, I guess, or forestall the, you know, the, the worst of it anyway. So that's why I wrote that. That's why I wrote the second one. And then the third one was about positive masculinity because I had these guys saying, Rolla, when should I give my son the rational male? <laughs> and I'm like, mm. I don't know. Is he a reader? <laughs> you know? Yeah. When I was 15 or 16 and somebody handed me a book, I'd be like, what was this? What do I do with this? Um, so I, but then that sort of opened up another can of worms, which was uh, how do guys who have become sort of, you know, red pill aware, how do they raise their sons and daughters um, in this new understanding? Like, what can they do? How can they, how can they make sure that their sons don't make the same mistakes that they do? And so that's what started Positive Masculinity. And then at that time, this was, I published that in 2017. And that was the, the, the first half of that was basically red pill parenting. And then the second half of it was about uh, just conversations and things that were going on with respect to masculinity and how masculinity over the course of like say the last, almost last 20 years, um, there has been, I don't want to say it's a war on masculinity, but it has been a concentrated or concerted effort to change what the definition of masculinity is and to change the, uh, it's, it's either to make men believe that, uh, that masculinity is subjective, that there's no such thing as a conventionally masculine man, and that masculinity is uh, either toxic or it is something that's confusing. Yes. And so, like, guys will always say, well, you know, I, I'm masculine, but I don't, want to, I don't feel like that or I don't feel like this. Or they start, you know, because of their upbringing, because I, I've always said this is that um, we raise our boys as if they're defective girls right now. Yes, yeah. Well, yeah. what happens is when those boys become men, they are uh, defective women. They become mm-hmm. defective women and they and don't they, and women are not attracted to that yeah and not at all no. and they wonder why that is and so they either really resist you know red pill awareness or they go whole hog into it and um, and they and yeah really and then they um <laughs> they they become despondent sometimes yeah, they become yeah. nihilistic because they, they don't think that there's any hope for them and i'm like well you just don't know how to use this tool set Mm, it's quite well, that's really what the third book was about too yeah man i've got i've got a whole bunch of i've got a whole bunch of questions there i mean one sure. question that one question that jumps in my mind to to begin with from the beginning of this whole thing is um kind of like what does your wife think about all this <laughs> everybody well, asked that yeah no because I, I think it's interesting because um i mean i don't think i knew i don't think i was i don't think i was sure whether or not you were married mm-hmm. and i think that with a lot of your writings i don't think it's um i I don't think it, I don't think it's it's necessarily obvious, right? I think someone could read it and think, for example, you know, someone who's more on the side of a detractor might read it and think, oh, this is just some some angry 
single guy, Hogenous, bitter guy who got burned. He, he, you know, that, that it could be viewed that way. It's not, it's not obvious that it's like, okay, this is uh this is coming from a guy who's, who's happily married and he has been for a long time and he's putting this advice out there. So um, I don't even know exactly what my question is here, but yeah, I mean, what, does my wife think of it? One, yeah. yeah, one, what does your wife think of it? And two, as someone who is married, what um, I, I can I can understand the motivation more from someone who were were single, for example, mm-hmm. right? So I'm just wondering, like, what is it that that drives you so mm-hmm. much to write so so passionately and so intricately mm-hmm. and so in depth about all of these subjects? Well, primarily I, I write, I mean, like I've said before is I write because I want guys to avoid like putting a gun in their mouth. I don't want to see that happen. In fact, when I, uh, when I did my very, when I finally showed my face, I was, I was very anonymous for a very long time. I would never show my face, uh, like all through the first two books, even, mm. um, I, I would do audio interviews every now and then, but I never, I was never even semi-public because I was still working in my my day job, which you know, I'm still kind of halfway in right now anyways, but I always had to be very careful of that because I didn't want to get doxxed. I didn't want, uh, I didn't want to have, I was representing a lot of different brands, a lot of liquor yeah, brands at yeah. the time. Some of them might've been cool with it and other was, others would have just said, you know, yeah. I would have lost that account because of it. So I had to protect myself. I also had to protect my family. Sure, I have sure. a, I have a, a soon to be 22 year old daughter. Okay. Um, my wife and I have been together since 19, well, with 1995, we got married in 96. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, I have by what most guys uh, metrics would be a pretty damn good marriage. Um, I have been for, like I said, almost 24 years now. And what's interesting to me is when I get critics, it's usually from either side, the extremes of either side. So one critic will say, well, uh, well, Rolo, he's had sex with 40 plus women and therefore he's a man whore and, and he, uh, um, you know, he's, he's a bad guy because of, of his, of his past or whatever. And then I'll get, and usually that's from like the more moralistic guys. There's always the moral absolutist guys. Mm -hmm. And then you get the guys who are, um, who are like sort of on the opposite side of that. And they'll say, they'll say, well, um, he, uh, you know, he's, he's married, so he can't speak authoritatively Mm -hmm. about game or pickup or, or this kind of stuff. So, but what's what always kind of confounds those guys is I've had uh you know from the time I was like about seventeen till where I am right now I'll be fifty two next month, um, I have a, a really broad depth of experience and so you know I can speak to guys who are like MGTOWs I can speak to guys who are blue pill I can speak to guys who are still beta I can speak to the guys who are really wrapped up in the soulmate myth or they're they're with a a, a woman who's maybe maybe she's a little damaged maybe she's uh you know got borderline personality disorder I can speak mm-hmm. to those. Um, I can speak to uh, raising a daughter. I can speak to, you know, being married for 20, almost 24 years now. Sure. Um, so, but when people attack me, it's usually from those opposite ends of the extreme. Like, well, you shouldn't talk about this because you're not out there in the field and you're not running game on girls all the time. Okay. Well, you're, you can't speak because I know <laughs> I, for, for guys who are like what we call trad cons, like traditional conservatives, <laughs> yeah, yeah, those yeah. guys, they will throw rocks at me all day. And I go, well, you guys are the ones that are divorced. You guys are the ones that are trying to get to where I've been for 24 years right now. So yeah. when, when I have that conversation, you know, I just kind of like, you know, wherever I'm, I'm in the middle of all this. I'm not an MRA. I'm not a, I've never been, yeah. a, I've never been any of this stuff. I just write about these topics. I'm, I've always been, you know, part of that 
world, I guess. And I've had pretty unique experiences because of my work, you know, when working in, in the clubs and promotions and stuff like that as well. So, yeah. um, so when I get that criticism, I kind of take it with a grain of salt and then I just keep doing what I do and, and people seem to respond to that. So that's, that's really where I go with that. My, as far as my wife's concerned, um, yes, she's read the first book. Um, okay. I think she's picked up about half of the second book. I think she's okay. not read the third book, but really all she really wanted to read was the first book just to understand it. She knows what and she's right outside the door right here. You know, yeah. she knows what I'm doing. She must. I'm just, I'm just curious. Yeah. And she, yeah, she understands. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my daughter knows my, heck, my, my mother-in-law knows. Mm. Uh, I try to keep it under wraps. I don't, I don't try to, I, I don't flaunt it in anybody's face. It's just something that I do. And, um, and I'm really trying to help guys. And I know that yeah, sounds yeah. like really kind of, uh, you know, schmaltzy to say, well, I want to help, but I do. I mean, I, no, I don't want guys to actually nothing, build themselves or hurt themselves. So. No, it's, it's, it's important, man. I mean, it's weird. We live in this weird time where anyone who promotes any kind of self-improvement or who actually tries to help people, especially tries to help men, is going to be attacked and is going to be demonized. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. really weird. It doesn't matter if you promote physical fitness or you promote better relationships or you promote trying to improve your looks or trying to improve your finances or whatever. There's going to be people out there who don't want you to help or inspire other people. I mean, it's something I encounter a lot and it's really weird. I mean, I get that from my fans sometimes. People are like, man, Zuby's like the, Zuby's like the nicest, most reasonable, <laughs> like, like most reasonable guy here. Like, what, of, of all the people who you know, all these people on social media or whatever can spend time attacking. It's like, why, why are you going for, why are you going for this guy? Right? Like this is the, this is the rapper who doesn't even cuss, who doesn't like use any homophobic slurs, who doesn't call women, women, you know, bitches and sluts and stuff like that. Who's not dropping the end bomb, you know, like, but this is the guy you want to go after, you know? And it's, it's, um, it's weird. Or, you know, like, I don't know what you think of him, you know, guys like uh, Jordan Peterson, right? Like mm-hmm. the way it's undoubtable, like whether or not, like I'm a fan of his work, whether or not someone is a fan of his work though, it's undeniable that he has positively impacted millions. Yeah, well, that's the first thing people say. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, there's, there's, there's no question. And so it's just so weird to me. Like, wh- why is this the guy, why is this the guy you're trying to take out? And when he sits down in an interview, they're there like asking him, oh, well, why, why are, why are your audience mostly men? Why do you think it's, you know, is it just angry young men or what? And I'm just like, what, what are these questions, you know? <laughs> well, that's because anything that is, anything that's pro-masculine, even just asking questions or connect, like I always say, I'm, I'm, I'm a connector of dots pretty sure. much. And I ask questions that really, uh, it's the question that upsets people. It's, it's the information. Like I, I'll get women, like most, most women actually are, are pretty open to the stuff that I'm talking about. I get the most resistance from other guys okay. because they're very ego invested in that old way of thinking. And they, because they, again, remember what we were talking about, solving that reproductive problem. So if I say, have you guys ever thought about this? Or why do you think it is that, um, you know, women go for the bad boy and then that, you know, later on in life, they go for the, the, the good guy or the, sure. you know, cats versus dads or hypergamy. Or I talk about, uh, you know, alpha seed, beta need. I'm not going to cuss. Um, <laughs> so, um, those kinds of things. Just asking that question. Uh, guys get very uncomfortable about that because every guy that you know right now has game. 
everyone, every guy, every, you talk to a 10 year old boy right now and he will, he will tell you what he thinks is the best way to go from being like sexless and single to getting a girlfriend and, you know, uh, take her to the dance and, and yeah, yeah, give yeah. her, you know, chocolates. And, and he's got some, some kind of concoction of that. Okay. Where did he get that? Usually it's from what I call the village, right? There's Disney. It's, it's pop culture. It's maybe it's their church. Maybe it's their family. Maybe it's whatever. At some point along the way, from the time that kid was about five years old till he's about 12 years old, maybe 13 years old, he's picked up on an idea that of the things that he has to do in order for, to get a girl to like him. That's game. He's mm. How effective that game is, what that game is actually based on might not be accurate, but he has some idea about that. And most guys do. And usually when we're talking about uh, like the blue pill and guys who are sort of locked into this, the, the way that they think that they're, that, their lives ought to go and, and how to attract women and how to keep a woman. And it's usually like, you know, it's Oprah or it's Dr. Phil or it's this, this old school, like um, this old school understanding. I don't even call it old school. It's really been since like maybe like the mid eighties or something where, where we have this impression in our head that these are the things that we need to do. And then we find out later on through sometimes traumatic experience that that's not actually how it works. And now you have the, internet and now you we have a resource right now that we've never had in the history of humanity to to educate ourselves on this kind of stuff and for most people they become ego or most guys particularly become ego invested in the way that they're going about uh, solving the reproductive problem and if they stray from that whatsoever then they won't solve that problem and they'll be called a jerk or they'll, you know, girls won't like them or if they go against what they think is the right way. And then, so they don't experiment. They don't, um, you know, they, most guys don't have options. They don't have confidence um, as a result of that because they keep sticking to that old social contract, that old way of doing things and which was what we call the, the blue pill. And then when they become red pill aware, they see what's going on. They understand this. Maybe they try things that, you know, like they get to a point where they got nothing to lose. Mm. So they, they start it and they find out that it works. And I think sometimes the fact that what they're doing works is almost more depressing than what they had to go through before <laughs> because they're like, oh my God, this is, ac- yeah. this is actually true. This is accurate right now. I, it, I can't believe they're actually like this. And they, they want to be the nice guy. They, most guys, I think, would want to be nice guys. I would. If it were, I'd be like, yeah, that's great. But, he, but that's not how it works. And, and so when you, when you put that in front of somebody who's built their life on, on you know, following that path or following that program, they find out when they're 25, 30 years old, God forbid, they're 40 years old and they're getting into a divorce. Yeah, and they look yeah. back on their lives and they see all the decisions that they made that was based on that old blue pill information. And now they have the red pill and the internet and old Tomasi and all, and all this other stuff to sort of say, here's why you made those decisions. That can really jar a guy's world. That can really make them despondent or nihilistic. And most of the guys who become nihilistic, they become extremes. It's usually because they don't see the advantage that they have. They, they can't see how they can use those tools to rebuild their lives in a better way. And so, yeah, that, so what, as a result of that, I get guys who will throw rocks at me, whereas the women are like, yeah, why don't you teach these guys something? But the guys are the ones who are the most resistant to me because they're still stuck in that old way of thinking. They still want that idealism that they, the blue pill told them they could have, sure. but now they've got the red pill and it sort of upsets their life. And they, so guys have two choices. They either accept that, rebuild themselves, or they throw rocks at me, or they go and they try to realize their old 
blue pill ideals with red pill information and then they find out that they're even worse off because of that because what they need to do is really abandon that blue pill way of thinking. Gotcha. And how can guys do this without overcorrecting? I think with, I feel like with so many issues in society, it seems like human beings are really bad at really bad at moderating, right? Like people, people like these binaries, you know, it's like people wild, wildly swing. It's like, okay, well, if you're not here, then you must now, be aren't we? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, if you're not way over there, you must be way over there. So how, I, and it, you, I mean, you do see this happen. I mean, you can see online where some guys, it seems like they come to some of these realizations, but then they, then they overcorrect, right? Then they just go sort of to the opposite extreme or they do become genuinely bitter and genuinely you know harboring very negative feelings towards women just sort of as mm. as a whole um you see the same thing on some some of the extreme ends of feminism right it's it's not really that different you get mm. these women who you know maybe they have a you know realistically oftentimes they've had a a couple bad experiences with guys whether that's with their own father or with a boyfriend or with a husband or something like that and then they just sort of adopt this men are evil narrative crush the patriarchy narrative, toxic masculinity narrative. And it's like a huge overcorrection. Um, and you see some men sort of do the same thing where it's like, okay, well, all women are just this. And I got hurt two, three times. So, you know, it, I don't know how, do, how do guys avoid, especially so, you know, even someone like yourself who I know you are married, but someone who sort of spends a lot of time really studying the psychology and your blog is called the rational male. And with something like relationships, obviously the, the rational part is important and it can literally save lives, but there is also an emotional side component. of it. Yep. It, it isn't just pure rational. It, you know, there's also the emotional side. So I'm just wondering how people can balance these things so that they're sort of getting the red pill benefit without the bitterness and the anger and all that. I think that one of the things that uh, most critics of like the red pill, I, most people who are outside, like particular people who are in the mainstream media, I would, I would say certainly are blue pill. The first thing they, they, the, that really freaks them out is they go, all these guys are angry because those guys sort of fit the image of what they learned in their women's studies class or what, what does a misogynist look like? What does a misogynist sound like? Oh, it's yeah. these guys right here. I can't believe they've all got together and they've formed a club online and they're mm -hmm. the He-Man Woman Haters Club. And so that kind of looks like the guy that you're, that's supposed to be your enemy when you've been taught like by, by the, what I call the village, like Disney, church, you know, society, pop culture, that kind of stuff. Sure. Um, and I think, and, and what you just said is really interesting because I've written uh, about four essays about uh, how human beings process information. And usually it goes through three steps. It's instinct, emotion, and then reason. And so instinct is like what we have as uh, sort of our evolved instincts, like the things that are just sort of part of our, our, our base hardware, right? Our base like firmware that we're, we evolved for that we had, like somebody, somebody throws something at your face, you flinch kind of stuff. Yeah. That's instinct, you know, to, to get away from things or we have a, a revulsion instinct. We don't want to be near dead bodies. We don't want to be near, you know, things that smell bad, those kinds sure. of things. That's instinct. There's an instinct can be kind of complex sometimes. And then you've got emotion, which is another way of saying, well, how am I processing the information that's coming to me from my environment, from all my five senses? How am I, how am I processing that? How does that make me feel? And then there's the reason side of things. And reason is the slowest and it's the hardest really to really uh, to cultivate, I think. Most, I, 
I, I've said this is that I think that most, most human beings, men and women, start with instinct. And then for women, it's instinct, emotion, and then reason. So they go through uh, an instinctual part. Uh, they go through, how did this make me feel? And then maybe they get to the rational or the reasonable side of things. For men, it's usually the opposite. It's, it's instinct, reason, and then emotion. Mm -hmm. So it's instinct, okay, what is this information telling me? How can I use this? How can I avoid danger? How can I benefit from this? Whatever. And then it's how did this make me feel? And we can, um, got, you know, we, we're going to, like, people are going to hear this and going to roll their eyes and go, oh, men are just as emotional as I, and, yeah, and you're right. You know why? Because men have been taught to I was switch just thinking, that. I was just thinking that. that. I was literally yeah. just thinking that Western modern men in particular, I'm not mm -hmm. convinced that that is the, <laughs> that right. that is the order. That yeah. The, well, the reason that that is not the order is because for the last, say, 50, 60, really since the sexual revolution, we have... Um, We've had a concerted effort to socialize and engineer uh, at least the last four generation of men to invert that, to mm -hmm. be more, to get in touch with your feminine side, to be more female, to, to identify with the feminine more. How do you do that? You have to feel before you can relate, before you can reason. And so when, when, uh, when people, when the, a feminine primary, I won't say feminine, a gynocentric uh, society says, uh, men, you should feel before you, you think. You should feel before you reason. You need to become, you need to get in touch with your feminine, you, all that kind of stuff that we've been hearing really since the 70s. What that is, is it's a reversal. And what happens is we, we live because of that reversal, um, and we're seeing this right now um, in our politics, in, in our religion, in all kinds of things. It's, it's feels before reels. How did I feel about that? We talk about the SJW uh, snowflake culture. The reason for that is because we have inverted that. It's instinct, emotion, and then reason. And so, yeah, most guys today actually follow that because they've been taught from the time they were little kids. Remember, uh, you know, we teach our boys as if they're defective girls. Part of that reason or part of that education is an attempt to teach boys to be more feminine. And how do we do that? They need to emote first. And then they need to, then if they, we even get to reason, then we get to that point. Problem is, is that evolution didn't build us that way. Mm -hmm. So if you go and you look at, uh, and we have this information now, we are not blank slates. We're not the same as women are. In fact, our differences are a lot more pronounced than most people will want to accept right now. So if you go and you look at brain architecture, if you look at fMRI scans, if you look at how men's brains are wired synaptically and women's are, it, women have a, a greater facility for communication. Why is that? Because they evolve, their evolved mental firmware is different than men's. And so when women communicate, it's usually about the, uh, the context. It's like, it's how, how did it make them feel, Right. It's, uh, it's that women will get together to talk with their friends over coffee because they enjoy the act of communication because it's an emotional thing. This is a connection. That's the way we evolved from hunter-gatherer society. So women had to form stronger social networks for survival interest. Men had to form different, different uh, relationships so that we could go out on the hunt and be cooperative and, and, and we became more merit. Merit, meritus, meritorious, I guess is what, what the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So you have men who tend to be more, um, more merit-based, whereas women tend to be more collective. They tend to be more about the, the, the social clutch rather than the guys who are more like, it's, it's like teamwork, but it's, it has a goal. And that's how men communicate. Men, uh, women talk, men do. So when, when men get together and we communicate and we're talking, it's all about the content 
It's about the information that we're exchanging. Like you and I are men, we're exchanging information right now. When men are talking, they're looking out at the world and they're relating with each other. When women are talking, they're looking straight at each other and they're relating because there's a different kind of communication. And why is that? Well, because women are instinct, emotion, and reason. Men are instinct, reason, and then emotion. It's not that you can't rewire that with education, which is what we've done for the last 50 some odd years to teach men that the correct way to think, the correct way to interpret information is to, to think like a woman. It's the female correct way of doing things. And that's why we're at where we're at right now with the feels before reels kind of thing. That's why we have SJWs. That's why this millennial generation is all focused on how things make them feel. That's why we need our safe spaces. That's why we need, um, you know, that's why we want, uh, we, we, we're confused about masculinity yeah, because we have confused generation after generation of guys <laughs> that say that that's the wrong way to do it. That's the wrong way to process information. The ma- conventional masculine way that would prompt you to, to use reason before emotion, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. It's only about, you know, how, how women relate and the more alike you are with women or the more you relate, the more you're sensitive, the more you identify with the feminine, the more correct you are as a man. Why is this so unique to the West? <laughs> People ask me that too. I, I get um, uh, particularly writing the religious, the religion book that I'm writing right now. Yeah. I've I've had a lot of guys say, "Well, that's that's not in my culture, or that's yeah. not in my religion." <laughs> so right? I'm, I'm, I'm particularly I'm, Muslim. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm in the middle of a bunch of different cultures. So you know, mm-hmm. born in the UK, raised in Saudi Arabia, family background from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Went to an American school and spent a lot of time amongst Americans. So I'm, I'm kind of like at, at the center of these four things. So with, with someone like me, I mean, this is like, I feel like 80% of the arguments I get into online are sort of, sort of stem from this because people fail to understand that I'm not like a, I'm not purely in like the Western matrix, mm-hmm. right? So when people talk about things and they're saying, oh, the world is like this or the world is like that, I'm like, no, like the modern Western world. Mm-hmm. Isn't like that. Like, trust me, the, the, the whole world isn't having these same conversations <laughs> that, that we're, we're having here. They're not arguing about how many genders there are or what bathroom this person should use or, you know, we've exported. men and, men and we've... women, they're same. Or it's like these conversations are not a thing. If I go back to Nigeria and, um, you know, I even bring up some of these topics, people will just look at me like with a weird face. Like, now, why would you even think that? Why, why would, would that even be a thing? Yeah. I get, um, I get people particularly from Latin cultures will say, okay. well, that's not, you know, we, uh, in, in Latin cultures, uh, women respect the guys who are the alpha males or, you know, they have strong fathers and stuff. And in certain cultures that might still be the case right now. But uh, I think one of the reasons why you're sort of confused about that is because we've been exporting this for a very long time now. And it's become, uh, it's become, and we've gotten very efficient at it too, particularly in the last 10 years because of the internet, because we have this, um, we have this connectivity that we never had before. So like for me to talk to, like I'm in the United States, you're in the UK. Well, it was, technically those are two Western societies. But like when I'm talking to my, my friend Abu American, who is a Muslim with three wives, mm. and he wonders why, you know, uh, American <laughs> white men are such pussies. And I'm just like, I'm like, well, okay, I get that. But as I've been doing the, uh, as I've been doing the research for, uh, I mean, that, 
let's be let's be honest. Um, but I, as I've been doing the research for the for the fourth book, I'm like, okay, is there a cultural? Are are there cultural differences, and where is this going? And as I've been following the religious side of things, I'm also seeing that this is all about globalization too. And we're becoming a more globalized society, as you can tell with a globalized pandemic that's going on right now, because we have something that we've never had to to really uh, to deal with anymore because that globalization is not just about economics anymore. It's also about the sexual marketplace. It's also about feminism. It's also about the ideas that I just discussed with you right here about like feminine, you know, gynocentric social order. And when guys tell me, well, that could never happen in my Muslim country, then I'll go and I'll look at the, the news in Iran and I'll see that women are taking off the hijab and dancing on Instagram and showing off their butt on Instagram, just like the <laughs> girls that are in the United States because they know they can make money at being a Snapchat girl or what is it? I don't know. I forget what the other one, but you know, uh, selling yeah, premium totally Snapchats fast. of their butts, right? You know, and, and so when I see that, I'm like, yeah, that's the way it is now. Yeah, nobody is. But, but it's slowly, little by little, inch yeah. by inch, it just etches etches away at that, and we're we're exporting it. And pretty soon, a global socialized, uh, you know, um, a globalized sexual marketplace is going to have to deal with these problems at some point because the women in Africa, what they have cell phones just like the women in India, just like the women in Japan, just like yeah. the women in in uh, in the United States, and so. One in this is a, a a key element in book four. I'm gonna give away book so four. I'm just, I'm just I'm just my brain. I'm just thinking. I'm just laughing at the fact that, uh, that this is the default thing that happens once people get access to smartphones and social Smart media. Smartphones. Like, yes. Like, yes. Like, why is why is the first initiative to sort of like start with pictures of your own face eventually like move to your butt? And then yes. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and why did why did Rolo start talking about this way back in twenty you know two thousand and one? Well, because that's again that's the most basic problem that human beings yeah. have to solve, which I love, is the I love, yeah. I love human yeah. beings, but sometimes I look at yeah. and I'm just exactly shaking my head. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, like and and in my my fourth upcoming book, um, I I go into uh, detail about the global sexual marketplace because you we were just talking a moment ago about how guys get this. You know, they become red pill aware and they become despondent and become nihilistic. They get angry. Mm. And why is that? Well, because they have 24-7 access to the black pill or, what you know, this nihilism, the, you know, MGTOW, whatever. I'm not, not, and I don't want to come down on MGTOW because I know there's a lot of different kind of MGTOWs, but like, let's just say the black pill guys who are just like become like completely despondent and the incels, right? They just don't want to have anything to do with, with women whatsoever. And they just sort of drop out. You want to know why Jordan Peterson is in the right place at the right time? It's because of this right here. It's because we have this access now and you can't escape it. Mm -hmm. And so the same thing, this will make you laugh here a little, is um, I can remember when uh, Roosh was writing his his lay guides for um, for Poland or for uh, Germany. Like he would go all to these different countries and then write about those the, the, the sexual marketplace in those individual countries. Well, the problem is, is Though well, that that worked for 2007, 2008, all the way maybe up to like 2014, it doesn't work now because just what you said, everybody all over the world, women all over the world now have cell phones. And there used to be this idea that guys could just go, you know what, I'm done with the United States. I'm going to move. I'm going to go to Brazil where the women are more feminine or I'm going to go to Southeast Asia where the girls are, are better there and they have respect for because the culture is different. Like we were saying before, right? The culture is different. Yeah. It is now, but it's not going to be probably in the next, well, probably not even now. And so what, and, and Roosh has said this before, he was very, um, 
he's very surprised that he went back to Poland and he thought that that was going to be like the place where he's going to meet his, his perfect little wife and settle down. And suddenly it's hard because the girls in Poland have cell phones and they have access to all this stuff. And it was only over the course of like two or three years. Yeah. And so guys think that they're going to go to these countries and pick up on girls a little bit easier or whatever. And the fact of the matter is, is those women are now part of the global sexual marketplace mm -hmm. and they know what they want and they believe that they are entitled to it the same way that Western women believe they're entitled to all this other stuff. Yeah. It's weird. You know, on, in many ways, I, I, a question I often ask myself is, in what ways is humanity moving forwards and in which ways are we moving backwards? Because, you know, by, by a lot of sort of economic measures or healthcare access, education, literacy, obviously we're moving forward, we're progressing. But there are a lot of things that really make me sort of question on a sort of more moral level, spiritual level, relationship level, sort of human connection level even if you look at actual markers of things you can measure, I don't know, depression, anxiety, suicide, um, you know, divorces, all that kind of stuff. It's like, mm, are we, are we, are we, are we progressing here? Like, is this, is this progress? You know what I mean? It's, um, it's weird. And you're seeing, you know, both young men and young women just, yeah, you said become, becoming despondent, developing, you know, this animosity towards the opposite sex or just not being able to, find a happy relationship or even if they can you know you've got this weird very antenatal sort of vibe that's going on where you know people aren't even reproducing and the whole thing's just um yeah it's weird it seems like once societies become successful they become a little bit suicidal both individually and collectively and that's something you're seeing in europe right every single country in europe has a negative birth rate like that's a, that's incredible to me that's like every single country and some of them it's as low as like 1.2 1.3 and you're like lower than replacement levels in most yeah of them. Like, yeah not almost not even like you know 40 percent below that and you're and it's odd and then even on an individual level like you know suicide rates are actually going up like people are literally committing suicide more it's the leading cause of death of men under 50 in the uk i believe suicide mm -hmm. united states and, it's the uh, highest demographic is 45 to about 60 i think really yeah uh, it's something i've been actually studying yeah, it, it's, just, it's just odd. And it's weird because, I mean, if you look at things like that, those are pretty modern Western problems again, right? If you go to parts, if you go to actually like, you know, developing countries, if you go to parts of Africa, parts of uh, Asia, South America, people aren't killing themselves, right? People might be dying of other things, but it's almost like once you reach a certain level of success and comfort and you know, comfort by the, by the traditional means, it's, it's just strange how certain things seem to kind of invert. And I don't really know the best way to articulate it, but it's something I've kind of been mulling over and observing over the past, over the past sort of five to 10 years and just being like, huh, that's strange. You had a, you had a tweet and then I asked you if I could quote you on this. And yeah, it was go ahead. About, uh, I, I, I don't have it up right now, but it was something to the effect that we are at a point right now where, um, we've never had to deal with this rapid a change and we've never had to like in, in the history of humanity, we've never had it 24 seven. We've never, uh, we've never had all like when I was telling you earlier today, when I was talking about uh, how, when the internet came about and the first thing guys did when they got together was they formed these online communities and we started talking about how to solve our reproductive problems, right? How, how do we deal with women? How do you live with them? How do you date them? How do you, whatever, that kind of stuff. I think before that it was how to watch porn, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, maybe that was it too. <laughs> but prior to that, now think about, and, and I tell guys this all the time, is like go back to like the TV shows of the 90s and the 80s 
go back and look at the movies that were around there and you and look at those things with sort of what I call the red pill lens. Like now that you're red pill wear, go back and look and, and just see. But this is all prior to the internet, prior to cell phones for sure. Um, I mean, look at the, I mean, imagine me doing this, I'm, you know, going back to those guys in the 90s or the 80s and having like my, my iPhone with me and going, I have in this device access to every scrap of information of, of humanity ever. This is the most, you know, valuable device. And people would like look at you and they'd be like, yeah, get out of here. You know, they wouldn't believe you. Now we take it for granted. Uh, as far as the pornography thing too, is like we get, um, you know, as I, I don't know about you, when I was a kid, you know, getting a, a Playboy or a penthouse was like pirate's gold, right? You do it like, you know, oh, I got this, you know, great. But like today, kids as young as 10, even younger than that, have access to hardcore pornography 24-7 streaming 4K porn whenever they want it. Yeah. That's another thing we've never had to deal with. Um, you know, people talk about pornography addictions. Well, yeah, well, that's going to be an outcome of that. That's one aspect of this uh, what I call the new order. The old order was thinking about, you know, the, thinking about the blank slate, old school feminism, uh, the way things used to be like the old social contract versus the new social contract and the new order that we're going into. And we're going to have to find a way to rapidly adapt to these things that keep happening because we have that access. Mm -hmm. So when I like, for instance, you know, we're in the middle of the, the pandemic right now. And I'm, you, you definitely see uh, a lot of guys, real nature come out, like the panic nature or the guys who are, you know, collect, like, let's just co collect all the data here and understand yeah. that just, I was saying before, it's like instinct, emotion, reason. You get the guys who have, and women who have the emotional response before they think about like statistic. And it's a lot to, it's a lot to comprehend. I'm not going to say it's, it's easy. I mean, we have to process this information at a moment's notice, and then we have to determine whether or not it's fake, whether somebody's trying to pull, pull a fast one on you, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and then we wonder why we have like the highest suicide rate amongst men. It's like five times higher than, than women. Women have the highest usage of antidepressants that at, of any time in history. They're the most unhappy they've ever been. Yeah. Um, and guys want to say, I, I'll, I'll listen to like sort of the moralizers and they'll say, well, it's because they don't have God or they don't have religion. And it's like, well, yeah, that's a result of where we're at right now because this, you know, this is our, this is our God, you know, this it's, is where, this is where I think, sorry, coming back to what we were saying earlier, I think this is why you, you know, coming back to, it's kind of complete the circle. Initially, we were talking about this term red pill. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting. You can see in this conversation how all of these things have now become, you know, they're all connected. So mm -hmm. if you're going deep on some of these topic, topics, if you're talking about sexual dynamics or relationships between men and women, you can't then not talk about the technology and the religion and the political ramifications and all that. Cause it's, it's all, it's all tied together. And yeah. I think that's a, uh, I think that's really fascinating. And I think that is why, you know, this, the term red pill, you're right. It's been sort of like co-opted and bastardized a little bit, but I think that that's some of the reason because once you kind of go in a little bit deep on any one of these topics, you mm -hmm. end up seeing how each one affects the other one, you know, and like the, the technological thing, you, you can't, you can't deny the, the impact of that. It's, it's huge. It's gigantic. And it's so recent, right? That was the point of that tweet I was putting out there. It's like, look, we are literally, we, we are like hamsters or rats or gerbils or something. Never done it before. <laughs> this, right. All throughout history. Like we, we've never had access to these tools. Like people forget how new it all is. And it's like, look, it's not like, it's not like we've evolved since 2005. Like we're the same, 
we're, we're, we're the same human same, beings. Same animals, the same no. things that we've been for a long time. You know, yeah. I, I, when I was talking about the global sexual marketplace, I, of course, I'm doing this from an intersexual dynamics perspective. But I had guys who were like Asian guys who would say, or Asian or Indian guys who would say, like, we're doomed because most guys who are Asian or Indian, we're, uh, we're shorter. We're like 5'6 or 5'9. The tallest of us is 5'9. And now all of our women, all of our women in the Philippines, all our women in Japan, all our women, wherever they are, now they believe that they're entitled to a six foot tall white guy who's got six pack abs and make, you know, drives a BMW and all this other stuff. And so how can we possibly compete with that? And what I that what I got from that was you're going from that localized sexual marketplace or where you were, your region, you know, your, your, before you had all this interconnectivity. Um, I, I, I use this as an example because I got a friend who's Filipino. Um, you know, if you went to the Philippine Islands prior to, you know, a certain century or whatever, a, a tall Filipino guy would have been like 5'9 or 5'10 and he would have been the alpha of that local sexual marketplace and women would love him. Then you get the, the, Western European Spaniards who come there and they conquer the country and they're six foot tall. And now, so, you know, and that's one of the primary things that women, uh, you know, select for is height in a man. Now that guy is not, not only has he conquered your country, he's now like six foot tall or what, however tall, even if he's five eleven, he's taller than you, <laughs> most of the guys there. Yeah. And so what that is, is it's, it's a, a localized, uh, you know, sexual marketplace. Now that's just the sexual marketplace. It could be anything else too. It doesn't have to be the, the reproductive market. It could be anything. And so as we have more connectivity, we become more polarized because of that. And so like I was talking to the guys who are in the, the black pill community um, and most of them tend to be like Indian Asian guys who tend to think of themselves as being on the losing end of uh, the, I guess the Darwinistic uh, lottery and the, the women that are in their local market, you know, their ethnic local sexual marketplace don't want to have anything to do with them because they think they're entitled to a westernized global sexual marketplace. And they think that they're involved in that now. So think about it in terms of, say, what's going on with the pandemic. Think about it in terms of economics. Think about it in the terms of we've never been more connected right now, but we've also never been more polarized. And as a, as a result of uh, this this instant connectivity, it's easy. Uh, there's some really great things that happen as a result of it. Yeah. And there's some really bad things that happen as a result of that. And we Absolutely. still, I don't think we're prepared to deal with the bad things right now. We love the good, we love the good things. You know, yeah. we love all that. Hey, yeah, it's great. But, uh, online streaming porn. All right, great. But yeah, you know, well, everything is that, else. Is that, is that a great a, thing? I, I think we're I don't know. If, I don't think it's a great thing. I'm just saying yeah, that that yeah. like our pleasure centers, yeah, like, know you, you know, if that's what we want, then that yeah. seems like a great thing to us. But then, there's other consequences that go with that, and we've never, as a as a race, as a species, have ever had to deal with that as immediately as we have. I mean, we're talking only like the last fifteen years, like maybe ten years. Yeah, it's very, it's very recent. Yeah, this it's is crazy. It's a new. It's a new age of enlightenment, and I'm not yeah. saying it's a great thing. Yeah. <laughs> it might be a bad enlightenment, but you're definitely being enlightened. Yeah, definitely. Well, we will see. Rolo, I feel like we could we could have this conversation for oh. a very very long time, but I'm I'm very wary of um of uh you know trying to keep it somewhat consistent in length with my with my other episodes and also thinking about editing but um we'll definitely have another conversation on it um but where can people check out your work online sure you can find me at the rationalmail.com that's my blog that's where i'm the most active you'll you'll find i i usually do an essay a week i'm i'm kind of getting back to it i've been kind of slacking off a little bit because of book 4 which should be coming out i would say within the next month to month and a half right now 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can also find my work on Amazon, which is the Rational Male series of books, uh, Rational Male, Rational Male uh, Preventive Medicine, and the Rational Male Positive Masculinity. Those are the three books that I have right now. You can find those on Amazon, and you can also find them on Audible. They're all Audible books as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you want to connect with me any other way, uh, I am on Twitter quite a bit, as you know. <laughs> and so I'm Rolo Tomasi at Rational Mail on Twitter. Awesome. Rolo Tomasi, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It's been really Thanks, cool. man. Thanks, Evie. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.